Church, I'm glad to be here with you. I do want to consider with you um, what God has to say to us this morning. And so with that, will you, with that, will you please take, a, take your Bible and um, meet me in the New Testament letter of 1 Peter. If you don't have a Bible, there are some provided for you under the chairs. If you don't have a Bible at all, please take one of those Bibles under the chairs as our gift to you. We would love uh, nothing more than to be able to equip you and gift you with your own copy of God's Word. So we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to cover just one verse this morning that I believe, you can keep your finger there, that I believe captures the essence of this day very, very well. I love the word hope. It's a small word and not much to, uh, not much to look at. It doesn't sound particularly impressive or uh, draw attention to itself. It's just four letters in length and only one simple syllable. Yet the word hope is one of these most powerful words in our vocabulary. Life is, in fact, shaped by hope. Without hope, life loses its promise and its purpose. The, uh, the world is colorless without hope. It's seen only in grayscale. But hope is light. Hope is beauty. Hope adds texture to an otherwise flattened perspective. Hope expects better. Hope is the anticipation of more. Hope makes all the difference. And not surprisingly, the Bible is a message of hope. A message of life. A hope-filled message that breathes life into our lives. One could, could rightly summarize, I believe this, I believe one could rightly summarize the entire Bible with the word hope. Certainly the entire meaning behind Easter Sunday. Easter is the one day of the year when churches everywhere celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is a fact upon which the church and the entire Christian faith is built. If anyone from anywhere at any point in history was to disprove the resurrection of Christ, Christianity itself would crumble and followers of Christ from every age would be of all people most to be pitied. But as hard as skeptics have tried, and they have, they have all failed. Because He is risen. He is risen indeed. But you already know that. So today I, wanna, I don't want to focus on what the resurrection is as much as what it means and offers it means new life, and therefore it offers new hope. I want you to hear this. You can face life today 
with confidence in Christ because when you are born of God, you are born to a living hope. I want to consider this hope in three parts this morning. Hope illustrated. Hope explained. And hope applied. But first, will you pray with me as we just seek the Lord's help and, and, and blessing. God, we want to thank you for our time together and your word this morning. Thank you for the wonders of this day. Thank you for the, uh, the, the folks that you have brought to this place at this time to experience these things and that we can all experience them together. And I would pray, Father, I would really pray that what we need today, we do not need another religious experience. What we need today is a genuine moving of the Spirit of God in the hearts and lives of, uh, of these people who've gathered here, including my own. And so, will you, O Spirit of the living God, will you fall afresh upon us today and speak to us anew the wonders of Jesus and the hope in His name? We pray in His name. Amen. Church, there are people in the world today, including those in our own lives and in our own spheres of influence, including maybe even some in this room who are battling hopelessness. I do not think it is, all, it is a stretch at all to uh, conclude that there are some people in this room right now who are battling hopelessness. And certainly, if it's not you, it's someone you know. On the outside, they may appear quite normal. They look like us, talk like us, do many of the same things we do. But on the inside, there's something amiss. Had we the ability to peer into the nooks and crannies of their hearts or listen in to their thoughts when they're all alone and just thinking to themselves, we would see and we would hear a desperate yearning for more. I want to tell you about a man who needed hope. He was an influential man held in high regard by those around him, generally well admired for his piety as well as his contributions to society. He held a position of authority. He was an educated man who taught others from the wealth of his own knowledge and experience. A religious man, he valued scripture and strived to uphold and obey it. He even recognized the uniqueness of Jesus merely by observing what Jesus said and did. He couldn't help but conclude that Jesus must have come from heaven as one sent from God. And yet despite his religious commitment and his morality and his, the social capital that he had built, this man knew that something was missing. Something was missing within. He wanted more. And thankfully, he sensed that Jesus could provide that which he was seeking. I want to tell you about a woman who sensed the same. 
though for an entirely different reason and from an entirely different background. Unlike the man in the first story, this woman was not well regarded or influential in any way, just the opposite in fact. She was a woman of low repute, known primarily for a string of broken relationships, married five times to five different men, she was the common denominator in at least five broken families. Who knows exactly how many hurting people were left in her wake and how deeply she hurt, though she rarely, if ever, exposed that tender side to others. By this time in her life, she was basically ostracized, though she had hooked up with yet another man who was not her husband, probably feeling it was the only way she could get any attention at all. She had baggage. Lots of it. She had trust issues, issues with abandonment and isolation. I suspect she was jaded and guarded, no doubt accustomed to avoiding the the sneers and the stares of others in town. There was immorality involved, sexual promiscuity involved, and who knows what else. She never meant it to be this way. She never meant it to be this way. Certainly, she never dreamt of being a bad girl as she grew up. She was trying to find happiness, but here she was, her life in shambles and all the shame that came with it. No matter where she turned, no matter how hard she tried, she couldn't break free from this destructive cycle of utter dysfunction. Not until she met Jesus one day did she realize there's a better way and that hope is in fact attainable. Another story involves yet another unexpected encounter. It involves a man who apparently suffered a traumatic event or an illness or a disease of some sort earlier in life that left him physically debilitated. You know, it's one thing to be born with a handicap. That's a very, very real challenge unto itself. But to experience the loss of certain faculties or abilities that you once enjoyed and probably took for granted, that's a different kind of trial altogether. For this man, nearly 40 years had passed with this affliction. In times prior, he thought of getting well again. Now, however, almost four decades of severe infirmity left him bitter and desperate and full of excuses. He was ashamed. He was embarrassed. He was always needing to rely on others to care for his simple, basic needs. He'd resigned to spend his days in hopeless despair until the day Jesus came out of nowhere to offer new possibility. And church, I want you to know that the people I've just described are real people like us, with real struggles and stories like ours. Parts of their stories are recorded for us in the Bible, specifically in the third, fourth, and fifth chapters of the Gospel of John. You can go there. You can go there and you can read about Nicodemus. You can read about the woman at the well. You can read about the infirm man lying helpless by the pool of Bethesda. What do they all have in common? They all wanted more. 
out of life. More than they were presently experiencing. Each of them knew very well their own sense of incompleteness, their lack of wholeness. For them, life hadn't turned out the way they desired, and their future was not as promising as it, as it may have once appeared. They longed for something more, something that met the need within, something that would endure the test of time and even extend into eternity, and they found it in Jesus Christ. Hope is one thing we all have in common. Something we all need and want. I want you to think through it with me. Think about your own situation. I mean this. Think about your own situation. Think about the people in your life. What one thing applies to all? Hope. No matter your background or circumstance, we want hope regardless of age or gender or vocation or place of birth. We all hope for something more. Hope is something everyone is looking for, though often in all the wrong places. And knowing this about the human heart, God, in His love, has moved to meet this great need, which is why the Apostle Peter, when writing to individuals like us, declared in the, in the first chapter of his first letter, in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And here in this great verse, we learn so much We learn about new birth. We learn about new mercy. And we learn about new life in Christ. Perhaps nothing captures the essence of hope more than new birth. I mean, birth is filled with hope, right? Birth is about new life and all that comes with it. The birth of each of my five children was marked by hope. When I held their tiny, newly born bodies so young and small and looked into their confused, struggling to focus eyes, I was overcome with hope. In addition to everything else they mean to me, they were living, breathing examples of endless possibility. We talk about the miracle of birth, right? And rightly so. But, but as spectacular as physical birth is, spiritual birth is even more so. And thus the Bible says that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Born again. When we were born into this physical world, as miraculous and 
And hopeful as it was, we were, we were nonetheless born with a nature that's been fatally infected by sin. And though fashioned by God in His image for His glory, we received from our birth parents not only certain physical traits, but also a nature that when left to its own inclinations will pursue sinful tendencies rather than the great purposes for which we were created. At times, this occurs in willful willful disobedience of God. At others, in naive ignorance of God's ways. Regardless, all of us have sinned. We are each guilty, and the result is death, both physical, but especially spiritual. Apart from God's intervention, we live under the sentence of death, meaning relational separation from God that comes with devastating and eternal effects. Now, because each of us, each one is affected in this way, we must be healed and made new, which is what Peter means when he speaks of being born again. He's talking about second birth, about spiritual rebirth, about being born of God to new life in Christ. This is good news. Hear this. If you were a Christian, no longer are you dead in sin. It's no longer the wrongs you've done or the, or the wrongs done to you. It's no longer your upbringing, your failures, or those who failed you. If you are in Christ, the defining reality of your life is this. You are made new because God has caused you to be born again. At the heart of Christianity is the miracle of regeneration, where we are created new by God for restored relationship with Him. And hear this, it owes not to your ability or inability, but it is by God's great mercy according to this great verse. Now, such mercy is, is great both in its effect, its effect, the effect that it has on us, and its supply. Because the recipient of this mercy, one moment condemned in his or her sins and separated from God, is at the very next moment born into God's eternal family. The once guilty sinner instantaneously becomes a beloved child of God. This mercy is transformative in every way and limitless in its supply. When God calls a person out from spiritual death into new life, the waters of mercy, if you picture it this way, the waters of mercy, like a dam breached or a levee toppled, flood the hopeless with kindness and compassion. Because God is infinite, His mercy, just like His love or His power or His holiness or the full company of His perfections, is is without confine or limitation. So it flows 
not, it flows to us not in measured quantities, but in immeasurable abundance. It's known not only at the moment of conversion, but each moment of every day because the mercies of God are new every morning according to God's promise in Lamentations chapter 3. When you woke up this morning, When you woke up this morning, did you realize that God had already set aside all that is necessary to get you through the day and make the most of it? Whatever opportunities come your way, whatever blessings you encounter, whatever challenges you may face today, God has already supplied all the mercy that's needed. And when you wake up tomorrow, His mercy will be newer still, ready and waiting to carry you through again. And certainly much more could be said regarding the mercy of God and the miracle of new birth. But for today, just know this, in a world where hopelessness abounds, there exists hope, that is alive and available. And we know this because Jesus is alive and well. The Christian is born again. Look at it with me here, verse 3. The Christian is born again to a living hope. By what means? through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, the reason why we have this hope is because Jesus rose from the dead. Because sin brings death, sin itself must be dealt with, and death itself must be defeated which Jesus did on both counts. Jesus was human like us, yet unlike us. He is divine and one with God. His life on earth was marked by perfect fellowship with God as we were to enjoy from the beginning, unmarked or untainted by sin of His own doing. So when He died, He died not for His sins because He had none, but for ours. That's why we have Good Friday, by the way. It's good because it was at the cross where Jesus bore our sins in, in our place at the cross. He suffered sin's full consequence for us. At the cross, He died our death so that we might live again with God. Wrapped in burial cloths, His lifeless body was laid in a never-before-used tomb. And to the casual observer witnessing the events of that day, it appeared to be just another Roman crucifixion. Brutal and bloody, but certainly not world-changing. Even his closest followers were confused and scared and shaken to the core. Their hopes, coming to an unexpected and tragic end, buried along with Jesus and until on the third day, everything changed. And it's then, as Frank said earlier, it's then when occurred the event on which all history hinges. 
The stone that sealed the tomb was mysteriously rolled away. Women appeared with spices and ointments, expecting to prepare the body for committal, but no body was found. Disciples heard the news. Peter ran to see for himself, marveling at what he saw, for on the third day the burial cloths that once wrapped the lifeless body of Jesus were found lying all by themselves. The tomb was found empty. The king of glory had been raised in glory, just as he promised. So when Peter writes of being born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he testifies to that great day, to Christ's triumph over death, and to the hope we now have in his life. This is hope that lives This is hope that overcomes sadness and suffering, tragedy and despair. Because of Jesus Christ, we have hope that the tears we shed and the ache we sometimes feel is not the end of the story. Through Jesus and His resurrection, we are assured that even death itself does not have final say. Are you with me, church? That's what Easter means to you. That's what it means to our world. It means hope, living hope that rests squarely on the fact that Jesus Christ died and rose again and He lives in power today and forevermore. Therefore, you can face life. You can face life with Christ-centered confidence because all who are born of God are born to a living hope. I want to assure you today, look at me. I want to assure you today that you need not let your past define you. No matter how successful you may be in the world's eyes, like Nicodemus, That's not what makes you who you are as far as God is concerned. Or if your past is characterized by blatant disregard for God and your rap sheet is littered with shame and disgrace, perhaps like the Samaritan woman, hear this, it does not need to define you anymore. Or if, like the infirm man lying in despair, your life seems to just be marked by one repeated failure after another, one setback after another, one heartbreak after another, that doesn't need to be the end of your story. Loved ones, there is hope to be had in Jesus Christ. If you've ever thought you can't change, I assure you, you can That's the message of the resurrection. That's what it's all about. New life. The life of Christ is important because it reveals God's heart for a lost humanity. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, came to us to serve us. 
He taught us about life. How to live in communion with God and in relationship with one another. He sought us. And He modeled life for us. And He demonstrated for us the lengths to which God has gone to save us. The death of Christ is important because that's when God dealt with all your wrongs, all your sins, all those times you turned from Him and His will for you, even those occasions when you turned against Him in defiant rebellion. Every sinful thought, every sinful word, every sinful deed, all of it was nailed to the cross with Christ. He he took it all and He paid the terrible price of it all. He bore it all for you so that you wouldn't have to bear it anymore. The burial of Christ is important because it signifies that all of those transgressions are no more. They've been removed. They've been buried. They've been covered Sin's power over us has been put away for good. And the resurrection of Christ is important because it is the supreme declaration that hope is alive and available and that God can take a life. Oh, church, hear this. That God can take a life that's been completely broken by sin and raise it again to even newer heights than it was before. In the resurrection, God restores all that sin diminished. Not even death itself can can hinder or obscure what God has done because those persons who trust in Jesus and in what Jesus did through His life and His death and His burial and His resurrection will receive from God new birth to a living hope. I want to ask you a question and I want you to really think about it. What are you hoping for these days? What are you hoping for? What's getting you through the day? motivating your behavior, your actions. Maybe it's something simple, like a day without disappointment or added stress. Maybe you hope for something a little bit more tangible, like that promotion at work or just a call from a good friend. Maybe you hope for something physical like sustained health or restored health. We could go on and on. Maybe you're hoping for a restored relationship with another. Maybe you have hopes for your other members of your family. Whatever it is, we're hardwired for hope. 
read something for you. Pastor Paul Tripp, he rightly draws this following conclusion when he says, According to the Bible, there are ultimately only two places to look for hope. We can either search for hope horizontally in the situations, experiences, physical possessions or locations or relationships of everyday life, horizontal things. Or we can search for hope vertically in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ and the promises and truths he provides in his word. When we look for hope horizontally, we're relying on things or people who suffer from the same degree of brokenness as we do. So at best, they can provide fleeting pleasure, but they always result in some degree of disappointment. Because they're broken. On the contrary, vertical hope is summarized by the Apostle Paul, for example, in in Romans chapter 5, when it says, hope in God that will never put us to shame. In other words, this hope will never embarrass us. It will never disappoint us. It will never fail to deliver on its promise. And you and I already know this, but it's worth repeating every day. Church, lasting, satisfying hope is only ever found vertically. Only in God is your hope sure and secure. Only He can provide you the life that your heart seeks. Only He can supply your soul with the rest it needs. Only He can deliver the internal peace that is the hunger of every human being. Another important question. What will you do today to place your hope on Him who is hope personified? What will you do today to place your hope on Him who is hope personified? The question confronting each of us this morning is, why Jesus Christ? Why His birth and life? Why His death and burial? Why the resurrection? What do these realities say to us? And and how do they speak into your life today? Today. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen? Amen. Amen. So may the, may the grace of Jesus, may the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be your portion today and forevermore. God bless you.